right. Well, good morning, everyone. We are looking forward to AD coming up, and we want all of you to put that on your calendar. Make sure that you are a part. All the events that happen here at the Gate Church every week, uh, there's things that happen almost daily, and we'd love for you to keep uh, abreast of those. I just want to say a big shout-out today to all of our serve teams. We have a lot of things that go on here every day of the week. We have people that serve and volunteer, some in our cafe, some of our host teams. Parking lot people arrive here at 7, 7.30 in the morning on Sunday. Our worship team arrives early. There's 175 kids or 200 kids back here in Kids Church this morning that people are working with. There's another 45 people in nurseries today that you're glad you're not changing their diaper. And uh, we are grateful for all of our host teams. Would you let all of them know how much we appreciate them? Thank God for all of the people that serve. And our, our goal is to believe that everybody finds a place to give their life away. We recognize that some of that happens on Sunday. Some of it happens during the week. But I believe that the greatest place you can have in the kingdom is to be a servant. That's the highest rank you can have in the kingdom. So we're grateful to do that. Next week, I'm honored to have Tim Hall with us. Tim's from Australia. Tim's had incredible, incredible meetings through the years. A lot of large stadium crusades, but he's also, he was just at a friend of mine's church and they went 13 weeks and had recorded miracles that happened every single night. It was amazing. People just came from everywhere. Healings took place. But he'll be here next Sunday morning. I said we probably won't go 13 weeks, but we would love to have you for a Sunday morning to be with us. We may go 13 weeks if God says that, but we would, we're definitely going to be here next Sunday morning. Everybody shout amen. amen. Hallelujah. Stand with me, would you, all over the building. I am uh, grateful today for you being here. We've been in a series of messages called the Roaring Twenties. And really, the whole thrust of this series thus far has been God preparing us to be able to know how to live boldly, to know how to live with confidence. A lot of people can't roar in their life because they have such timidity. And their timidity is oftentimes the result of not being sure about who they are, where they are, what they have, what's available to them as believers. I mean, if you know, the greatest thing I learned, I spent probably 15, 20 years of my life in church. I knew what it meant to be in church. I knew what it meant to be in sin. I knew what it meant to be in trouble. Nobody taught me what it meant to be in Christ. I found out what it meant to believe that when I got born again, as long as I showed up on Sunday and sat in a pew, then I held on till Jesus came. How did I live life triumphantly? What did that look like? And I'm, I'm convinced that my experience is not unique to me. It's unique to many people because the systems of religion, particularly in our culture, create Jesus as an add-on. We spend all week working and then we add Jesus onto the weekend. He's an add-on to our life. When in reality, Jesus is our life. He's not something I add to my life. He's something that becomes my life. The Bible writers actually would say it this way. It's no longer I that live. It's Christ that lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. 
they would write to the churches in Colossae and say, when Christ appears, who is our life, then we shall be like him. How many of you know that you don't have to wait to get to heaven to be like Jesus? That was, that was pretty weak. The one phenomenal thing about our covenant is most of the time in our natural world, you have to die to receive your inheritance. But how many of you know in the kingdom, you have to live again to receive your inheritance? It's not predicated on you dying. It was predicated on the fact he died for me. So everything that is mine, I just have to live again in him in order to receive. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away and everything becomes new. So I have to learn to locate myself. So we've been dealing with the life of Elijah and Elisha just as a picture. It's a type. And it's, it's based around this primary idea. We've got very short reading, so just, just let me say this before we read. It's based around this premise that when Elijah called Elisha, he called him to followership. He didn't call him to a double portion. Let me try that over here. Lots of people would sign up if they were assured what they were going to get. Elijah didn't talk to him about a double portion the day he threw his mantle over him. So in other words, watch this. He was not building a transactional kind of relationship. He was building an intimate relationship. And I'm afraid many of us treat Jesus transactionally. I'll praise you if you heal me. I'll give if you promise me a harvest. Because I've not yet deemed you worthy of it whether I get anything in exchange or not because you are more than enough all by yourself. How many of you know today if he never does anything else for you, he's worthy of all the praise you got because of what he's already done. So when Jesus called disciples, he didn't first call them to ministry. He didn't call them to be apostles and prophets and healers and teachers he didn't call them to all kinds of supernatural signs and wonders he basically walked to where they were at their place of business and made one simple statement follow me follow me he called them to followership because it was in followership that spiritual transformation would take place so we've been going through the journey of Elijah and Elisha they first stopped at Gilgal then last week we talked about the fact they stopped at Bethel. And this week reading from 2 Kings chapter 2, verse number 4 and 5 says, Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said to him, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I'll not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets were at Jericho. They came to Elisha and said to him, Do you not know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he answered and said, Yes, I know, but keep silent. 
today we're going to Jericho. Everybody shout Jericho. And my assignment is this. I want to give you this. is a very simple title, but it's what I'm going to talk about. Walk it out. Somebody shout that with me. Walk it out. Any, anybody looked at anybody and ever said to them, you got to you got to walk it out. Father, I pray today in Jesus' name that you'll speak to us. As the divine teacher, would you teach us your word? Show us your ways. Reveal your steps to us that we can be transformed and changed. Thank you for the privilege of declaring your word, your gospel to people all over this room. I pray you'd use my words and my thoughts to articulate the heart of the Father. For your name's sake, in Jesus' name. Everybody shout Amen. High five three people stand around you and tell them you got to walk it out. Come on, baby, you got to walk it out. You got to walk it out. I started to pull up some old rap songs and hip hop songs, but I I thought no. If I got permission today that we can we can deal with some serious stuff. I dressed in case not. I said, I'll wear camo so they can't see me. In case anybody starts shooting, they won't be able to find me. The question is asked all over our culture because statements are made by churches all over our culture. And the question that's asked is this, what does it really mean to be a devoted follower of Christ? What does it really mean to be a devoted follower of Christ? If we were to take a survey and ask that question across this room, I would submit to you today that we would get as many answers as there are people. Some of them would base it on convenience. Some would base it on conviction. Some would base it on traditions. But here's what I want to say to us today. In a world that is full of followers, unfollowers, Blocked worlds. Come on, if you got any social media, how many of you know the deal is you want to you want to be a follower of certain people and you want to have followers. So in a world that understands followers, but we so easily also understand unfollowers, blocked. What does it mean to be a devoted follower of Christ? We tend to be sort of casual in our followership. We follow celebrities we know we'll never meet. We follow certain personalities. Sometimes to just get a little short tidbit of information or gossip, maybe insight into their life. But I want to say to us today that following Jesus is both sacred and serious. It's not casual. It was never intended to be casual. In fact, there's a major resurgence in the kingdom today, particularly in the Western world where this had been sort of put on the shelf and forgotten. There's a major resurgence of people moving from a mindset of just trying to get converts on a Sunday morning so we can take notches in our belt and say we had 26 people born again last week to where we actually really began to think in terms of out of those 26 that came to a front to pray, how many became disciples? 
how many really became followers? In order to create followers, how many of you know that Jesus was really not a TED Talk motivational speaker? Much of what we do in our culture today is we go for 30-minute TED Talks that motivate us to try to have a happy marriage, a happy home, and a happy life. But the reality is Jesus never took the gospel and reduced it to a motivational sermon. I'm, I'm very motivational. I like to be motivated. But I found out something. Motivation really never transformed me. It took truth to be spoken into my life. And I had to be willing to become a learner, a disciple of that truth in order for it to work its way into my life and my life to be transformed. In fact, Jesus said it this way, the more you come to know truth, the more you'll be set free. And the word know there literally means the more you're intimately acquainted with truth, the more that truth makes you free. We tend to quote that verse that uh, he that knows the truth, uh, the truth will set you free, but actually the Greek word says the truth will make you free. Because how many of you found out and lived long enough to know there's some things that you got free from last week, but there's some things you're still struggling to get free from? I ain't got no help in the room nowhere, huh? There, there are some things that you may have been finished and over, but there's still some things you are being made free from. And the more you come intimate with truth, the more you become free in your life. Let me say to this, this, this loudly today, please, if you don't get anything else, make sure you get this. Following Jesus is not a one-time decision. In fact, I want to submit to you today that there are going to be multiple times in your life that you'll have to make a personal decision to follow Jesus. You'll either follow him on continually or you'll come to an intersection and you'll find an RV park and you'll pull your Christian RV in and you'll set up camp and you'll stay there till Jesus comes or you go by the way of the, of the grave because you have decided that that's as far as you want to follow. Today we're going to look at Jericho. Everybody shout Jericho. The primary story of Jericho comes out of Joshua chapter 6, which we'll look at in just a minute. But the reality is, is that the children of Israel will be given an opportunity to take possession of what had been promised to them. In other words, it's a picture. Realize this, the Old Testament is written in narrative form. It's written in stories, as Pastor Jay said earlier. It's written to, to tell the story of people's lives. And it's a picture of a truth. You have to discern the truth in the picture. In the New Testament, the New Testament is written in principles and, 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 and truth principles, and you have to add the, the story to it because it becomes your testimony. So actually, the New Testament is in the Old Testament. There's not two gods. There's not an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. It's the same God. Everything in the New Testament is in the Old Testament. If it wasn't there, Paul couldn't have taught the New Covenant from the Old Testament. He didn't have a New Testament to teach it from. <laughs> I ain't got no help. Somebody's going to help me. I got to hurry. So the truth is all these realities and principles are everywhere in the Bible, but they're in the Old Testament in picture form. You have to discern the principle. So in the, in, in the story of Jericho, what we remember most is we remember shouting. When we shouted, the walls came tumbling down. Come on. How many of you, if you think about Jericho, really the, the first thing that comes to your mind is they shouted and the walls came tumbling down. Come on. How many, how many of you be honest enough to say that? When they shouted, the walls came tumbling down. But the emphasis of Joshua chapter 6 is not the shout. That actually came on the last day on the seventh time. 
the emphasis in Joshua chapter 6 is on walking. Let me try that over here. The emphasis in Joshua chapter 6 is not about shouting, it's about walking. Now because I'm a part of a church that shouts, how many of you know we're not opposed to shouting? The key is if you're going to shout, we want you to walk. It's really difficult when people shout over things they never walk out. And the word walking or the implication of walking primarily is a metaphor for decision, decision making. How many of you know when you say, how does somebody walk out their life? In other words, you're talking about what decisions are they making on their journey? It's a metaphor for decision making. Because every time you take a step, you get to make a decision. Hmm? Psalms 37 verse number 23 makes this statement. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. In other words, you could say it this way. The steps of a righteous man are orchestrated, guided, and established by the Lord. In other words, the Lord is the great orchestra director, and he's the one that establishes the parts. He's establishing the rhythm. He's establishing the flow of the music. He knows how it should make sense. So he orchestrates the steps of righteous people. Everybody shout steps. Now, if we're honest, most of us like elevators. Full level glory. Punch 12. I'm just riding to glory. How many of you recognize that he said the steps? Steps are systematic and sequential patterns of movement that gets you from one place to another. In other words, if you don't take those steps, you never arrive at certain places that may have been ordained for you. But if you take the steps, how many of you know you get to places you never thought you could have got to? It all comes from taking the steps. Is there anybody in the room today that says, I don't really need an orchestra director in my life. I got it all figured out. I know exactly how to do what I do, where I need to go. Because here, let me, let me, before you answer that question, let me just say this. How many of you know I can see to the hill, I just can't see what's beyond the hill? I can see to the corner, I just can't see what's around the corner. I can see what he looks like now, but I can't see what he's going to look like after I put a ring on him. So I need an orchestrator who can orchestrate my steps because I can take steps as far as I can see, but I can't take steps into what I can't see. So how many people, let me ask that question again. How many people in this room say, I need an all-knowing, an omniscient God who can see over the hill and around the corner and he can already see into April what my life is going to be like and order my steps today so that when I arrive there, I know how to live in the place place he's ordained for me anybody in the room know what I'm talking about Proverbs chapter excuse me Psalms chapter 23 verse number one and two everybody in the room knows it the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he makes me to lie down in green pastures now watch this he he what he leads me beside still water how does God lead me? He leads me 
by influencing my decisions. That's why if I make decisions and never acknowledge him, I can't have his leadership. But if I acknowledge him, he will lead me. And his leadership will bring me to green pastures. I mean, even though that means I don't have to live in brown, dead grass. He'll lead me beside still waters. That's a picture of he'll lead you into places of tranquility. You don't have to always be on rapids fighting the elements. Uh, I can tell it's going to be a long time today. (laughs) Stay with me. No, I'm just kidding. It's not going to be. See, I never changed my life until I learned how to make decisions. Until I learned how to walk. Until I learned how to follow him. And when I have God influence, listen, when God influences your decisions, quit looking for all kind of spectacular things to happen. There's, there's people, they make me nervous. I'm just going to tell you the truth. They make me nervous. I was riding to work today, and I saw a cloud. It was in the shape of a, of a big B, and that means I'm supposed to move to Baltimore, and I was, I'm supposed to be bold as a lion, and I saw this cloud, and it moved to the east, and that was a sign to me. That may happen occasionally in your life. That's not how you make decisions. You have to learn to allow the indwelling Christ through the voice of the Holy Spirit to speak to you continually about how you make decisions, how you make choices, and you've got to learn to trust that voice that's on the inside of you. Christ is not up yonder somewhere. Christ is right here. He's with me. So if I'm standing in a store and I don't need to spend money and that voice says to me, you don't need it right now. How many of you know it doesn't matter if I got $1,000 on my credit card? I just got led. Uh, I'm going to preach over here. How many of you know that if I'm out with somebody and the Lord tells me they're going to end up being the Boston killer, they're going to be a murderer in the middle of the night. You don't need to be hanging out with them. How many of you know, I don't care if he's fine and looks like he's got a six pack or a whole keg on his chest somewhere. How many of you recognize the Lord just spoke to me? He led me. He led me. And I got to learn to follow his leader ship because I didn't come to Christ just for a one-way ticket to heaven I came to Christ for him to lead my life because if I lead it I make a mess out of it so I can trust him to lead me here's what happens when we're making decisions and learning to walk with God here's the pressures that face us the first one is we get confronted by the dominant culture and the patterns of the dominant culture. In other words, we'll start making decisions according to how the culture makes decisions. Well, the culture says we can't afford two rent payments on two rent rental apartments, so we need to move in together because that's cheaper. Let me go over here and stand in the dark in case anybody starts shooting. you know what I'm talking about. We make decisions according to the cultural pattern. I got teenagers in the youth group. They're doing great. They're spiritually doing well. 
but they just offered me $8 more an hour if I would move to some place in New Mexico that I don't even know if I got a church there. So I'd rather uproot my kids and move them because that'll give me $8 more an hour. And after all, the culture says you need to grab all you can while you can. People have a community of faith. They have friends. But they make decisions to do certain things to break the pattern of being in a community of faith. So they can go, am I doing okay? I'm talking about cultural pressures. That's what Romans chapter 12 is talking about. Romans chapter 12, verse number 2. He said, make sure that you don't be conformed to the patterns of the world. And listen to me. We get into patterns of decision making. Where we don't even think about them. We just do them. If you don't believe that, where where Kathy and I live, I can leave here in the office. A lot of times I make up my phones, my phone calls, because I have about a 20 or 25-minute ride to my house. So it's a great time for me to catch up on phone calls. I don't like to be messed during the middle of the day all the time with phone calls. So I return all my calls, if I can, when I'm on the road. I leave the office here. I get on council, and I head north. And when I head north, I get home sometimes, and I go... I hope I didn't run no red lights. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You get, you get home. There, there could have been like there could have been a robbery going on at one of the Seven Elevens, and I probably wouldn't have seen it because I just get in the pattern of going home. I go here, I turn here, I turn there, I turn into my my subdivision, I turn into my driveway, and I get home. Why? Because the longer you do it, the less you think about it. And here's what happens. The longer you make decisions based on cultural patterns, you quit thinking about it, and this voice inside of you doesn't get louder. Because listen to me, God's not going to scream at you. Actually, God gets quieter. The more you cover him up with cultural pressures and cultural patterns, the quieter his voice will become but if you'll start paying attention to the ah, I wish somebody would help me if you'll start paying attention to this voice in here and not just this voice out here that's telling you you gotta have that if you're gonna be popular you gotta live here if you're gonna really act like you're successful you gotta drive that if you want the world to think you're impressive no I don't have to that's what the world tells me I have to do I don't have to do that to know who I am if I like Volkswagens, I'm going to drive a Volkswagen. And if I like Cadillacs, I can drive a Cadillac. But it don't make me who I am. I can ride to church on a bicycle and I'll still be who I am when I get here. There was a time when Kathy and I lived in Florida, I had a moped. But that was not very becoming. See, the second thing that happens is when we make, am I doing okay? Can I keep going? Second thing that happens when we make decisions is we make decisions according to the the church or the religious patterns of the day. Now, I'm going to probably blow some minds here. Church patterns. Let me tell you what church patterns are. Church patterns are religious in their origin, but they're full of mixture. Because here's what church patterns do. Church patterns take what God said and then add our interpretation to it. And the reason, let me me say something to you. Church patterns are more dangerous than cultural patterns. Because cultural patterns, the world doesn't think they're sacred. 
Religion thinks it's sacred. So that's how we came up with a whole bunch of mess throughout the history of the church that God had nothing to do with. And we started hating people that God didn't hate. The church used the Bible to teach slavery was okay. It's because they took some verses in the Bible and put their interpretation to it. And so therefore, anybody that had certain skin colors automatically was disrespected, disregarded, and disenfranchised from church life. I'm here to announce to you that's a religious bondage. But listen, breaking some people out of that is a whole lot harder than breaking them out of the bar down the street. You can get them out of the cultural world. You just can't get them out of their religious traditions because they believe because it had religious origin, it's sacred. And therefore, they'll fight you to the death. There are some people that would have walked out of church this morning because I walked in here with a camo vest on and didn't have a suit. Because somewhere they got taught that in the Bible it says you bring God your best. The best is the best of your heart. And the problem is there are some people coming with the best clothes they got in the closet and they're giving him a discounted heart. And they'll fight you over the fact you ain't got the right clothes on, but they'll stay full of bitterness and anger and frustration and all kind of offenses towards people and call themselves religious and high-minded saints. I wish somebody would help me because I'm about to bust that balloon all to pieces because religious thinking is what's killing the life of churches and people who want to follow Jesus. I remember when I was a kid, people would talk about women cutting their hair. And they'd use all kind of Bible verses. Some of you are so glad you didn't get up in those days. The very fact that we're still here is a miracle. Come on, somebody help me. I remember one guy preached out of Matthew 24. It said, let him who's on the top knot not come down. He said, the women that have the top knots, you better not let them come down. If they come down, you're going to miss the rapture and you're going to bust hell wide open. And I thought, how in the world? I was a teenager. I could understand the Bible better than that. But we had to find some reason, religious reason to keep people from doing certain things. We developed hatred in the body of Christ towards people that had alternative lifestyles, resisted them, and got afraid that people would show up in our churches doing things that we didn't respect. And I want to say to all those churchy people, I refuse to be intimidated by a world I've been called to reach. And if I can't love everybody, I can't reach everybody. And if I'm offended at people before I preach the gospel to them, how will the gospel ever reach them? So I'm going to walk after Jesus today. I want to order my steps in the way of the Lord. I had a pastor tell me one day, if you let people come to your church that are struggling with homosexuality, it'll be everywhere. I said, you don't even trust the power of the message you preach. Am I doing okay? So you can either follow the cultural way or you can follow the religious churchy way, or you can follow the kingdom way. And the kingdom pattern is when there's a voice that speaks behind you, it'll say, 
this is the way. Walk in it. Jesus said it this way. My sheep know my voice. And another they won't follow. What does that mean? That means the longer you walk with Jesus, the more you know his voice. You don't need an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist sometimes to tell you. If you're getting ready to do something you know is against God's word, and that voice just says, don't do that. That's not, that's not going to be profitable to your life. And you go on anyway. That is not the devil's fault. Well, the devil stole my money. No, he didn't. You spent it. Well, the devil ruined my marriage. No, he didn't. You stayed on porno all night long. No, the devil didn't ruin your marriage. Your choices ruined your marriage because you wouldn't listen. I wish somebody would help me. I feel like preaching today. You made a decision to quit listening to the indwelling Christ who wanted you to walk after him. Somebody shout walk. Let's look at a couple points out of Joshua 6. Because the emphasis here is on walking. But watch this. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Watch this. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out. No one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I've delivered Jericho into your hands. Wow. It looked like it was all shut up tight. Looked like it was an obstacle. God said, it's already yours along with its kings and all of its fighting men. I want to tell you three things real quick. If you're going to walk, here's three things you need to know about walking with Jesus. Number one, if you're going to walk with Jesus, it's a walk of learning. It's a walk of learning. In other words, to follow Jesus is not about getting somewhere. It's about becoming someone. I'm going to say that again. Following Jesus is not about getting somewhere. It's about becoming somewhere. Here's my point. How many of you know every time we walk with him, he teaches us? And he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there. Some of y'all don't know that old song. It's literally talking about the more we walk and talk, the more I come to know him because he's constantly teaching me. Watch this. He's teaching me about him and he's teaching me about me. He teaches me about Tony, why do you always get defensive when somebody confronts you? Why do you always get angry? Why is anger your first response when you feel out of control? He just teaches us. He teaches us to look at circumstances so that if we face something that looks like it's shut up, that the doors and gates of Jericho are not greater than him. I got a prophetic word for somebody in the room. Your first no doesn't mean God said no. 
Kathy and I went to buy a home in Florida, and I sent a man, I told a man what I'd give him, and his first words were no. No. I'm not going to do that. But how many of you know, a few weeks later, we signed the deed on that house? Because just because it's shut up tight doesn't mean God hadn't given it to you. But what I learned in those few weeks was amazing. Because here's why. Watch this. Don't miss this. God uses the obstacles in your life. He leverages them to teach you how to walk in greater faith. God never lets your problems be wasted. He employs them. And he leverages them to teach you and I how to walk in greater faith. Because walking with Jesus is a walk of learning. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 says this. We walk by faith and not by sight. How many of you know that day? If Joshua would have walked by sight, he'd have went on, moved his tent, and went somewhere else. But he didn't walk by what he saw. He walked by what he believed. So what happens is when I walk with Jesus, he teaches me to have greater levels of trust even when I don't have evidence that things are working on my behalf. I only get that by walking with him. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse number 17 says this, this momentary light affliction is working for me a far more eternal weight of glory. In other words, I might be nervous right now, but there's going to come a day I'm going to look back on this day and say, that was my greatest season of growing right there. I thought I was going to go down and God taught me how to overcome right there. That was my junior year of college right there. I learned how to walk with Jesus and he taught me as I walked with him. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, we always talk about where there is no vision, the people perish. But let me give you a translation of that. Literally, it says this, when people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. If you can't see God at work where you're at, you'll stumble around through life. You have to believe that even if nothing is working the way I want it to, my daddy... We sang it today. He's always working. He's always working. The doors are shut up tight. They won't give me the raise. They're not going to give me the job. I can't buy the house. I can't get the things I need. And you, you can't throw up your hands and say, well, God didn't want me to have it. No, you may not know that. you got to keep on putting one foot in front of the other and keep on following him and keep on learning as you walk. And you'll find God in the middle of your promise. And when you find God in the middle of your promise, you'll keep walking rather than stumbling everywhere into all kinds of stuff. Because the more you understand God is present in every circumstance of your life and you can discern his presence then you'll recognize if his presence is here joy has got to be not far away because in his presence there's fullness of joy and at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore so here's what happens God said to Joshua the city's yours 
But here's the instructions on how to get it. God could have gave him the city that day. But he looked at Joshua and said, here's the instructions for getting what's been promised. I want you for six days to watch around the city one time. On the seventh day, I want you to march seven times. And then on the seventh time, blow the trumpets and shout. And I'll work on your behalf. How many of you know we're tempted about the third day? On the third day, we've listened to Brother Copeland or Brother Hagen, and we thought, well, if there's any faith in this place, we'll praise God, praise God. If there's any faith in this place, we'll just lay hands on these walls, and they'll come tumbling down. We'll just command it, we'll declare it, and it'll be so. How many of you have made some declarations that were not so because you didn't follow the instructions on how the declaration could bring to pass what had been promised? God wasn't going to drop those walls on the third day. He was going to drop those walls on the seventh day on the seventh time. It's important, ladies and gentlemen, please listen to me. Don't just get the vision for your life. Get the instructions for your life. Because if all you get is the vision for your life, you'll be trying to figure it out yourself and make it happen ahead of time. Because here's what happened. The orders and the instruction of the Lord determined how God would bring to pass what he promised. And it also determined the pace at which they'd walk. When they understood, they had to learn to obey the pace. Uh, This is interesting. I'll just say this for everybody in the room. God told Joshua how many days to walk. Six days, one time, seven days, seven times. Joshua never told the people that part of the instructions. He'd been a pastor. Because Joshua understood human nature. And most people are legalists by nature. Try that over here. Most people are legalists by nature. What are you saying, Bishop? Here's what I'm saying. They say this. Tell me what to do. And what they mean is, I will do that and no more. You want me two Sundays a week to serve? Don't be texting me on the third Sunday. I obeyed. So Joshua said, I'm not going to tell you all what God said. Other than God said, march. How many times? Until... Oh, I'm not feeling no love in the building, but I feel good about preaching because Jesus is loving me right now. Because how many of you know, come on, if we're honest, many of us go to prayer and say to Jesus things like this. Jesus, how many days do I have to do devotions? Come on, Bishop. I have to tithe every month. Come on, Bishop. Joshua just told the people. You show up every day, and we will follow the ark. 
when the ark stops, when the presence of God stops, we'll stop. In other words, he was showing them a picture of God may not give you a map. He's going to give you a compass. That's why most Christians only have an experience of where other people have been and never live a unique experience of their own because they keep trying to use somebody else's map to get to where they want to go so they can check off their box, went to prayer, showed up at church, served my two Sundays, did what I'm supposed to do. But what if Jesus all of a sudden takes you in a path you've not prepared for? Well, I don't have time for that because I got my life really scheduled out. No, my life is ordered by the Lord. And if I read the New Testament, I find out that 90% of the miracles happened in the middle of an interruption. Maybe this week God's just going to interrupt you on your way to break time and tell you to go pray for somebody and it's going to release somebody from captivity. But you've got to be sensitive enough to follow and to walk wherever he tells you and then you see the breakthrough. Am I helping anybody in the building? Second of all, if you're going to walk, it's a walk of long obedience in the same direction. Galatians chapter 5 verse number 16 says this walk in the spirit and you won't respond to the cravings and impulses of the flesh in other words if you'll keep cadence with the spirit step when the Holy Spirit steps walk with him and you won't be led by your impulses I'll be very I'll be really vulnerable I got, I got a, a situation this week that went on. I'm trying to work through and help some guys with some stuff. And one guy texts me, and he was sort of uh, actually was pretty forceful in his t- the tone of his text. And there was three of us on the text. And the other pastor from Tennessee texts back to this, this guy that wrote me and said, uh, I don't like your tone of voice towards Bishop in the text. And what he didn't realize is I had wrote a text back to the guy myself. And I wrote my text saying, you need to understand something. I am not your do boy. And, you, and I had deleted my text because I thought, hmm, because that voice said to me, don't send that text. I know some of you just lost confidence in your pastor. Please forgive me. I went to Jesus. It's all clear. Everything's good. I deleted the text. But I wrote it in an impulsive moment. And I thought, I deleted my text, and God took up my case. If we keep cadence with the Spirit, we won't live by our impulsive, carnal nature. I'm sure there's people down at the Baptist church that need this today. Probably nobody here at the Pentecostal church. But is there anybody in the room that's ever been impulsive? If, if, would you just holler at me for a minute if there's anybody in the room? If nobody on your row said anything, I'd move. Because you know, you're sitting with people that are going to hell. They are liars and they're going to hell. <laughs> Proverbs 
Proverbs 14.12 says this. I'm talking about long obedience in the same direction. Proverbs 14.12 says this. There is a way that seems right to man. But in the end, it leads to death. We've always talked about talk, taking that just for the fact that it may mean that if I, if I do my own thing, it seems right to me, I'm going to end up losing eternity. But that verse is not even talking about eternity. It's talking about this. When you do things that seem right to your carnal nature... Watch this. You won't even know they're wrong until something dies. All of a sudden, I kept being angry towards people, and I couldn't understand why my joy died. Because it seemed right to me to be angry. It seemed right to me that I had a right to be offended. But all of a sudden, my relationships died. You don't know that it's the wrong direction until something dies. I didn't realize that spending more than I make was wrong until my business died. Some of us in this room have had repeated funerals. And it's because we've never learned to follow his way and to walk with him. I'm here today to help somebody find wisdom. How many of you know wisdom is the principal thing? And if you learn to hear the voice of God and follow the ways of the Lord, how many of you know you can walk your way into the promises that he's ordained for you? Somebody in the room ought to make up their mind, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. Now, come on, guys. I'm almost done. Listen, if you're addicted to quick fixes... God's obligated to take you on a long walk. If you're addicted to companionship and company that doesn't have the same appetite you do for God and for the purposes of God, then God is going to reveal to you that your journey has the wrong companions. He'll, he'll teach you that on the journey. I'm amazed at people that desire to stop following and they start settling because they have romanticized the past and something that happened. Please bear with me. I'm trying to help somebody. Can I tell you what? The past was not near as romantic as you make it. we're honest, the good old days really weren't that good. What happens is we have a, an ability mentally to disregard the things that happened that were difficult and only remember the things that brought us pleasure. And so we romanticize a time that really was not good. I look on Facebook to people, people are right about a church they used to be a part of. I remember in 1983, and they just, they just talk about, and I look at them where they're at today, and they're not in church nowhere. Right. I'm saying, so in other words, you got to an intersection in 83, and you decided to quit following. Because you romanticized a point in life that you no longer believe there's anything better than what you experienced there. I have no, I have no desire to stay in those places. I'm going to keep long obedience in the same direction. And if I'm madly in love with Jesus, then I'm going to let him take me there. And if I'm not getting there fast enough, he must know I couldn't have handled it if he didn't give it to me quicker than he's given it to me. 
Well, I'm serving on a serve team right now, and I really believe I'm supposed to be a national prophet. Well, listen, he may not want you to be a national prophet right now, so just continue to serve on a serve team. you got to trust that he knows his plans for your life better than you know the plans for your life, and you'll let him promote you. Well, I really believe I ought to be out there making money. No, you probably ought to be finishing college during your junior year. you got three more semesters. Get done where you're at. Let him walk you through the thing that doesn't seem pleasant. Long obedience in the same direction will bring the fruit of what you've been looking for. Start playing and I'll stop. It's the walk of loneliness. You ever been walking like those guys that walked around Jericho? Can you imagine being the number 52,318th person that was in that line? You're in a dust bowl. You can't see nothing but dust and hear people on the wall criticizing you, making fun of you. I wonder how many people in the room will say, I've had times in my life that I wondered if anybody felt what I felt. Has anybody ever gone through this? Has anybody ever had their life turned upside down following Jesus like I have? And I found out that David was on backsides of the hills of Judea all by himself keeping his daddy's sheep anointed to be a king but walking it out alone Moses for 40 years walked it out alone in a, in a wilderness here's why because he was about to lead people through a wilderness and you can't sell tickets to a show you've never been to. What about Jesus? He even tried to take the 12 with him into the garden. And they all fell asleep. And we look at that and say, he ought to be mad. You want to know why Jesus didn't get mad at them for falling asleep? He asked them, couldn't you have tarried one hour? But he didn't get mad at them. You wonder why? Because he recognized there's some things I can only do alone. I can't delegate my process. I can't say to my wife, Kathy, go, 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 go let God deal with you so my life will get better. Well, on second thought, maybe if, no, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. You can't do that. Because there's some things that only God and you work out. That's why sometimes I don't need 14 counselors. I need a secret place. God and I, please, I'm not opposed. That we very much support people going to counselors. That's not, that's not a slight on counselors. What I'm saying is, 
is that you can't delegate onto your counselor things that God is trying to process in you personally. There's a song that used to be sung at all the Billy Graham Crusades for many, many years. It's a song I grew up singing as a boy. And I never knew the origin of the song till this past week. Billy Graham would preach the gospel and he would end the, end the sermon. Oftentimes, George Beverly Shea would come out and sing the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. I won't turn back. I won't turn back. And I found that the origin of that song, there's, I've been to India 20, 22 times all over, pretty much all over the nation. There's a man that was there that's been very highly respected. His name is Dr. P.P. Job. And he wrote in his autobiography before he died in 2012, the man he met up in the northeast part of India in a, in a province called Assam, which is very hostile to the gospel, still today very hostile to the gospel. A man that he met who was in the village where this song came from. In the late 1800s, there was an incredible revival that took place in Wales. And the revival that took place in Wales was so, such, such fire fell on people that lots of people got a, got a heart for the world and went to nations where the gospel had never gone. They followed Jesus to nations all over the world. And one of those Welshmen went to the province of Assam. There was no Christians there. In fact, they were headhunters. And the man writes in his journal that he would go into huts where people would have the trophies of the heads they had taken off people sitting on shelves because their might and their worth as individual warriors was by the number of heads they collected. And he went there and preached the gospel. And when he did, there was one man named no Keegan and his wife who gave their heart to Christ and they were baptized they were Hindus and they were baptized and because they were baptized they became the object of persecution for the village him his wife and his two sons and the chief brought them out in front of the village one day and he said to them Today, either you renounce your faith or I'm going to kill your entire family because we will not have any Christians in this village. Didn't, they didn't even know what a Christian was. said, I've never heard of this man, Jesus. He's from some foreign land. He lived thousands of years ago. But if you don't renounce this newfound faith that you've had, we'll kill you, your wife, and your sons. And the man said to him, I have decided to follow Jesus and I won't turn back. And with that, two warriors put an arrow through both of his sons. And the writer in the journal that day said, as his sons lay on the ground twitching, dying, a warrior grabbed his wife and put a knife to her throat and asked the man the second time, either you renounce your faith in Christ 
or we will take your wife's head and add it to our trophies. And the man responded, if nobody is left to go with me, still I will follow. That they severed her head and threw her on top of her sons and she's bleeding out on top of her boys. And the chief looked at the man and said to him, I'm giving you one more chance. And he refused and with that, the warriors pierced him with arrows. And as he lay dying, he said these words, the cross will always be before me world will always be behind me. I have decided to follow Jesus. The village chief had four of his village members laying on the ground dead. And he was emotionally overtaken. And he said, why? Why would a man allow his two sons to be killed, lose his wife and his own life for a man he has never seen, from a country he's never visited, lived 2,000 years ago. He said, but I've never seen such faith. And I don't know who this Jesus is, but I want to be a follower of Jesus just like this man was. And when the chief said, I want to follow Jesus, the whole village knelt on their knees and the entire village gave their heart to Jesus that day. Because one man said, I have decided to follow Jesus and I won't turn back. I wonder who in your sphere is waiting on you to be a follower. Though none go with me, still, I will follow. And when I come to the end of my life, it'll be the cross that's before me and the world behind me because I decided to follow Jesus. Come on, stand with me, would you? I have decided to follow
chosen to be a devoted follower of Christ that's the day you'll do that now I realize what some people would think they say Bishop you told that story because that's dramatic I really didn't tell it it is dramatic but I didn't tell it for dramatic effect I told it because that's what it took to get the gospel to you and I and that's what it's going to take to reach the world for Christ Casual Christianity will never change our culture. But people who have decided, I'm going to follow no matter where it leads me, Jesus. They will change history. My life was changed. My mom is here today, I believe. In the early 60s, when my mom and dad, my dad, a heavy drinker, had left the Korean War, a Marine. My mother and dad got born again, but would spend the weekends playing softball, drinking beer, running drag racing, and hanging out with their friends. But my dad and my mom walked into a church just like this on a Sunday morning. And there was no great evangelist there. There was just a church service. But the gospel touched their hearts. And my daddy recognized, I don't have to be a drunk. I don't have to be angry because I came out of a war. I don't have to live my life. In fact, my mother looked at him when my dad came home that weekend drinking and drunk. And I was three or four years old. My mother looked at him and said, what will he think when he's old enough to know what you're doing? on that Sunday morning my dad raised his hand and said I want to become a follower of Jesus and he walked an aisle and gave his life to Christ he didn't realize that day that that little boy that little baby boy of his 
He didn't know one day I would take the gospel around the world. He didn't know I would have grandchildren that would be born again. He didn't know I'd have children that took the gospel to the ends of the earth. He just knew he was making a decision. But his decision changed my history. All over this room today, there are people that need to make a decision. You're not going to make a decision to be a church member. You're going to make a decision to be a follower. A follower of Christ. That means he becomes the director, the orchestrator. He orders the stops and the starts, the pace and the rhythm. Because you've decided to follow him. I'm going to count to three all over this room. If you're in that crowd and you say, Bishop, I've never made a choice to really follow Jesus. I've been around church. I may have never been to church in my life, but I'm making a decision today because I recognize history is staring me in the face and the future is staring me in the face. And I want to change the history for my life, my children, my children's children. I want to make a decision today to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to pray that prayer with you to become a follower of Christ. I'm going to count to three, and when I do, hands will go up all over this room. If you want to be included in that number, when I get to three, lift your hand high. Don't be embarrassed or ashamed. Listen, you say, well, somebody may see me. I'm telling you, I hope they do. I hope everybody in the world sees it because you'll be the most courageous man or the most courageous woman in the building because you'll say, I don't care what everybody else thinks. I want to make a choice for my own personal life. I'm not making a mob choice. I'm making an individual choice that Jesus will be the leader of my life. If that's you, when I get to three, hold your hand up high wherever you're at, all over the building. One, two, three. Hands go up all over the building. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Who else? Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. I see you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Our prayer teams are moving. When I start to this song again, our prayer teams will begin to move to the front. I want to pray personally with you. If you just lifted your hand, I want just three minutes of your time. We're going to worship and sing this song one more time while you're coming. I want you to step out from where you are. Wherever you're at in the building, step out from where you are and come meet me right here. Would you? Come on. Everybody join together. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to
want to say something to you. A lot of people in this room have made this decision and they're praying for you right now. But in my mind and in heaven's eyes, you're the most courageous people in this room today. Because you've made a choice that can change your life forever. Forever. I'm honored to pray with you. If I could change you, I'd go home with you. But I can't. All I can do is introduce you to the one who can. And he will go home with you. He'll never leave you. And he won't forsake you. Doesn't matter whatever your life is like. I'm asking you to let me start you on a journey. And then let me help you on that journey. To become who God wants you to be. If you'll do that. I promise you in a year, you won't recognize yourself. There are folks everywhere in this room who prayed this prayer with me at some point in time. And they don't even look, they look in the mirror and don't even know who they're looking at because their life was transformed. That's what's going to happen. I trust the power of Jesus. That's the reason the last part of that song when that guy was dying, he said, the cross is before me. Why? Because that's where the change took place. He did it all for me. He died as me. So I don't have to. I just have to believe on him. And he'll begin to work in my life. There are people standing with you. They're just going to pray with you while I pray. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. The whole church is going to pray with us. And then they're just going to pray with you particularly to make sure we seal the decision today. This is not the end. It's the beginning. We're going to keep going forward. In Jesus' name. Church, would you pray this prayer with me out loud? There's a, can we do this today? There's a universal sign of surrender recognized all over the world. You don't have to speak the language. If you throw both hands up, you can be in a country you don't even know anybody. If you throw both hands up, it means I give up. I'm not asking you to give up to me. I'm asking you to give up to Jesus. Will you just lift both hands and pray this prayer with me out loud? Say, Jesus, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died for my sin. I believe you died for my I sin. I believe you're alive today. I believe you're alive today. And I'm making a choice. And I'm making a choice to put my trust, to put my trust and my confidence, and my confidence in you. In you. I want to become. I want to become a follower. A follower of Jesus. Of Jesus. And today. And today. I yield my heart. I yield my heart. My mind. My mind. And my life. And my life to you. To you. Come live in me. Come live in me. Thank you. Thank you. For forgiving me. For forgiving me. For receiving for me. For receiving me. For changing me. For changing me. In your name I pray. In your name I pray. Let me pray for you, Father. I pray. I pray for these wonderful people. I pray for each one of these individuals today. I thank you that your power and your grace, your spirit is beginning to work in their life. You're going to do what they can't do because you're going to transform them by the power of your name. I bless them today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Would you just turn around those people behind you just want to greet you, hug you, shake your hand, tell you, come on church, would you celebrate the grace of God in their life? And one more time, sing it with me, the cross before me. The cross before me.